Good morning. My name is Kyle Komarowski. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Titus. I'll be reading from chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from our godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, Grace242. A while back, Bryn received, as a Christmas gift, the Chronicles of Narnia series. And so I began reading the books to her, and we made it through Voyage of the Dawn Treader. But for whatever reason, that kind of got dropped, and Bryn and I should probably get back into the series again. My favorite in the series is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the evil white witch oppresses the land of Narnia by cursing it with an endless winter. The children arrive to Narnia for the first time by accident through the gateway of the wardrobe, only to meet a beaver who explains the tyranny of the white witch. But despite the endless winter, there is a glimmer of hope. Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is on the move. And I'm going to pick up the story here. Oh yes, tell us about Aslan, said several voices at once. For once again, that strange feeling, like the first signs of spring, like good news had come over them. Who is Aslan? asked Susan. Aslan? said Mr. Beaver. Why, don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood. But not often here, you understand. Never in my time or my father's time. But the word has reached us that he has come back. He is in Narnia at this very moment. He'll settle the White Queen all right. The hope for Mr. Beaver in Narnia was that Aslan was on the move. The ruler, the king, the lord of the whole wood was back in Narnia and was ready to deal with the queen. The inhabitants of Narnia looked forward to Aslan being revealed, and we as followers of Jesus look forward to the day when Jesus will be revealed. Today we conclude our short series on the book of Titus called How to Live in an Evil World. Titus likely came to faith under Paul, and now Paul is writing a letter to encourage Titus as he pastors the churches on the island of Crete. Titus was learning how to live as a faithful follower of Jesus in the evil world of A.D. 63. And we are learning how to live as followers of Jesus in the evil world of 2022. Today we're looking at the passage that inspired this series. Today we're looking at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Turn with me there. And we're going to diagram this passage today. I'm going to put verses 11 and 12 together. And then I'm going to put verse 14 next to 11 and 12 because verse 14 almost functions like a thesis verse that connects back to 11 and 12. And then I'm going to put verse 13 over here because that's where we'll get our marching orders from today. But let's look at the connections between 11, 12, and 14. 14 begins, he gave his life. He, meaning Jesus, gave his life. Let's highlight that blue. Now go back to 11, and it begins, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God was revealed, and God revealed His grace in Jesus. He revealed His grace because Jesus came to this earth on a mission, and that mission was to give His life, as verse 14 says. And by giving His life and dying on the cross, He opened the way to salvation. 
So let's highlight the first part of 11 blue because it connects to verse 14. Now we might have a question because verse 11 says that the grace of God brought salvation to all people. What this doesn't mean is that all people are saved. There is a belief called universalism which holds that everyone will be saved. Simply and very firmly, universalism or this belief that somehow everybody that's ever lived throughout all of time will be saved. That belief that everybody will be saved is a belief that we ought to reject wholeheartedly and firmly. Universalism is unbiblical. It's erroneous. It's false teaching. It's heresy. And it actually diminishes Jesus. It diminishes his sacrifice. It diminishes his coming to this earth. It diminishes God's majesty, God's glory, God's plan for the cosmos. It diminishes Jesus' kingship and his lordship. And so universalism is a belief that we need to reject outright. Now, Paul is not talking about universalism here. Paul is not saying that every human who has ever lived will be saved. What Paul is saying is he's saying those who believe in Jesus can be confident that Jesus' sacrifice saves them. In other words, if you trust Jesus for your salvation, you can be confident that you are saved. For those of you who believe in Jesus, for those of you who trust in Jesus for your salvation, have you ever doubted that salvation? Have you ever wondered, you know, will I see him in heaven someday? I remember as a kid, you know, I would tell you if, if you asked five-year-old me, do you believe in Jesus? I'd say yes. Jesus died and rose for my sins. But then there were these times at night sometimes where I'd start thinking about stuff. And I'd think, I believe in Jesus, but am I really going to see him in heaven? You know, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I'm not believing strong enough. Maybe I don't have the faith that it takes to believe in him. I say I believe in him, but do I really in my heart of hearts? Will I see him in heaven someday? You ever doubted your salvation? Well, Paul is giving us good news here because he's saying, hey, this is on Jesus. It's Jesus who did the work. It's Jesus who died for you. It's Jesus who obeyed the Father's will to go to the cross and then rise from the dead to save us. It's Jesus who saves us. And therefore, you respond in faith and simply receive the salvation of Christ. If you believe that Jesus died for you, you will be saved. This is good news that we can trust and be confident that if we believe in Jesus, we will be saved. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus does the saving. And Paul is reminding us that if you believe in Jesus, you can be confident that you will someday inherit salvation and see him in heaven. Let's go back to our diagram and look at the next connection. Look at the thesis verse, verse 14. It says, to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us. Let's highlight that green. In the first message of this series, we noted that Paul describes himself as a slave of God in Titus 1.1. We said that Paul calls himself a slave of God because Jesus has freed Paul from slavery to sin and death. And in Jesus freeing Paul from slavery to sin and death, Jesus has cleansed Paul and washed his sin away. Now look at the first part of verse 12. Jesus has freed us from every kind of sin. He's cleansed us, so now we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Let's highlight that green. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross frees us from slavery to sin. 
We are cleansed so that now we don't have to continue in our sinful way of life any longer. Now we are to turn away from godless living and sinful pleasures because Jesus has freed us from all of that. I keep going back to these times when I was a kid, but it helps me realize what I've learned in my years of following Christ. Because when I was a kid, I learned, don't sin because Jesus doesn't want you to sin. Well, that's true. Jesus doesn't want us to sin. But as I grew up, I learned that in addition to the motivation of Jesus doesn't want you to sin, it's not just don't sin because Jesus doesn't want you to. It's don't sin because you don't have to. That was a huge realization for me as I read Paul and as I read about Jesus freeing us from our sin, is that we don't have to sin anymore because we don't have to sin anymore. Jesus has freed us from all that. We're no longer slaves to our flesh. We're no longer slaves to our carnal nature. You no longer have to take that lustful look anymore because you don't have to do that anymore. You no longer have to hold that grudge against somebody because you don't have to do that anymore. You no longer have to retaliate against somebody to even the scales. You no longer have to tell that lie or manipulate someone to get what you want out of them. You no longer have to do all of these things that your flesh would dictate to you because Jesus has set you free from your sinful flesh. Let's go back to verse 14 and we'll diagram the next connection. Verse 14 says that Jesus gave up his life to make us his very own people. And let's highlight that red. Going back to the first message in this series again, Jesus' sacrifice not only frees us from sin, but in dying for us, Jesus transfers our ownership from sin and death to himself. Now look at the end of 12. Because our ownership has been transferred, because we now belong to Jesus, we live with devotion to God. Let's highlight that red. I like what 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19b to 20a says. It says, You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. Again, I'm going back to when I was a kid. Growing up in Hingham Reformed Church, I was part of junior choir. It was just what everybody did. And we had junior choir practice before Bible class every Wednesday night. And I remember putting on this musical one year with junior choir. And the name of the musical was Free Gift. And we hear this a lot in Christian circles, don't we? That Jesus' salvation is a free gift. And if you're talking about human effort in the sense that there's no way we could earn salvation, we have no righteousness of our own, that we were dead in sin and that we have nothing to speak of that we could do to inherit salvation, well then it is a free gift because there's nothing we can do to earn it. But in another way, it wasn't a free gift at all. It was extremely expensive. God paid a high price for us. It cost God the life of his son Jesus to purchase us. God bought us at the cost of his son's life. Going back to 1 Corinthians 6, God bought us with a high price. Therefore, you do not belong to yourself. There was a band that I got into when I was in college called The Wedding, and I put that album cover up there so you can see that, that red dress of a day gone by, right, that the band is wearing. And there's a song that the wedding does called Price for Love. And let me just play a few bars. God paid a high price for you. 
and in doing so God made us his people. Therefore, we live in devotion to God. When you look at how expensive you are to God, and that he willingly pays the price for you, it ought to drive us to be all the more devoted to our benefactor. Look back at verse 14 where we're instructed to be totally committed to doing good deeds. Let's highlight that in yellow. We've said throughout this series that the Cretan culture was quite rough. Paul even quotes a Cretan philosopher who described his own people this way. Look at Titus 1 verse 12. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. In contrast to being liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons, followers of Jesus are to be totally committed to doing good deeds, as verse 14 says. Now look at the inspiration for this series. Look at verse 12. Paul says, we should live in this evil world with wisdom and righteousness. Let's highlight that yellow because it connects to doing good deeds in verse 14. For Titus and the churches on the island of Crete, they are to stand in contrast to the Cretan culture, all the evil, the lying, all the crude way of living. And how do they stand in contrast? They stand in contrast by doing good, by living rightly. And in order to live rightly and do good in an evil culture, you need wisdom to do that. And the same goes for us. We as Jesus followers in this evil world of 2022, we need to stand in contrast. And we do so by doing good, by living rightly, and by seeking God's wisdom and asking God for wisdom on how we can be, you might say, in the world, but not of the world. Verse 14 functions like a thesis verse because we've just diagrammed four ways that verse 14 connects to verses 11 and 12. But there's one verse that we haven't dealt with yet, and that is verse 13. We haven't dealt with verse 13 yet because verse 13 has our marching orders for today. How can we live as Christ followers in this evil world? Well, verse 13 gives us the answer. Let's read Titus chapter 2, verse 13. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. How can we live in this evil world? We look beyond this evil world to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. We look beyond the evil, the hardship, the tyranny, the oppression of today, and we look to that glorious, wonderful, most anticipated day when Jesus comes back. We look to the day when the king returns. The inhabitants of Narnia knew of a ruler whose domain spread to all lands. To use Mr. Beaver's words, he's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood, but not often here, you understand. Aslan is the ruler of Narnia, but not often from Narnia. But Mr. Beaver is filled with hope because he's received word that Aslan is on the move. The word has reached us that he has come back. He is in Narnia at this very moment. He'll settle the White Queen, all right. Mr. Beaver anticipated Aslan's return, the ruler of all lands, when he would come back and depose the White Witch and set all things right. Similarly, we as Jesus anticipate his return when the ruler of the cosmos comes back, deals with evil, and sets all things right. In verse 11, Paul writes, For the grace of God has been revealed. Only about 60 years earlier from the time that Paul is writing this letter to Titus, Jesus has been revealed. He came to this earth. Then 30 years earlier from Paul's writing, Jesus died. He rose and he ascended back to heaven. 
And now we look forward to the day when Jesus will be revealed again. When the ruler of the cosmos, when the King of Kings, when the Lord of Lords will come back once again to set all things right. If Mr. Beaver from Narnia were talking to us today, he might say this. Why, don't you know? Jesus is the King. He's the Lord of the whole cosmos, but not often here, you understand. Never in my time or my father's time, and only shortly before Paul and Titus's time. But the word has reached us that he is coming back and he'll settle all evil, all right? Going back to our diagram, I'm going to put some stars next to verse 13 because this is the key to living in this evil world. And verses 11, 12, and 14 point us to the hope in verse 13. Perhaps you're feeling the weight of this evil world. Maybe you lie awake at night, unable to sleep, with your mind grinding on all of the problems and all of the challenges and all of the hurts that you face. Perhaps you're recovering from a recent surgery. Perhaps you have a surgery scheduled in the future and you're kind of dreading it. Perhaps you have some medical issues in your family and maybe you're still looking for answers and you have some answers but they haven't figured it out totally yet. And you wonder, are these medical events going to happen again? Perhaps your job is sucking the life out of you and it's harder and harder every day to wake up and go in and put in the hours. Maybe your job is requiring more and more of you and paying less and less. Maybe you're looking for a job and can't find one. Maybe you're looking for a second job and can't find one. Maybe you're worried about getting your kids into a decent school because you're concerned about the indoctrination that many kids in our country are experiencing right now. Maybe you experience all of these stresses day in and day out, and it's taking a toll. Well, if you're in those shoes, and if the weight of this evil world is pushing in on you, then look past this evil world to the day when the conquering king returns, when the king of kings and lord of lords, when the ruler of this entire cosmos comes back, when the conquering lion comes back to depose all evil and set things right. Look forward to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Love you, Grace 242. See you next time.